Welcome to today's episode of Meet the Leaders Insider Stories from Impact Business Innovators. I'm Patricia Cazero, the founder of the Impact Business School, and I'm better known as the Impact Business Coach. At the Impact Business School, our mission is to educate and empower impact-driven CEOs to build ethical and sustainable companies that create social and ecological change. On today's episode of the podcast, I have the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Jeremy Crows. He is the founder of Spin Up Growth for Good, based in Aruba in the Caribbean, and we met via LinkedIn. And our discussion today is going to delve into using technology as an enabler to scale your impact as an entrepreneur. It's an incredibly detailed and interesting discussion, so I'd encourage you to take some notes or be ready to play it back because Jeremy does go into a lot of detail and give some really key insights about how you can scale your mission and impact as an entrepreneur using LinkedIn as a tool to market your business. Jeremy has a wealth of experience in the corporate world as a sustainability expert and also as a startup advisor, in particular with growth hacking. I've really tried to use this opportunity to delve into what we can learn as startup founders from the corporate environment and using technology as an enabler. And there's also a philosophical question that arises. Uh, I like to think of it as the chicken versus the egg, which is really marketing versus product development. Uh, it's a great conversation. As I said, you might like to take some notes and I encourage you to have a listen in and uh, grow your business using some of the key takeaways that Jeremy advises. Jeremy, thank you for joining me today on Meet the Leaders Insider Stories with Impact Business Innovators. It's a pleasure to have you here from Aruba. I'm here in Australia. We connected over LinkedIn, and this is something I want to delve into, is how to leverage business relationships through technology. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Exciting. Excellent. Well, let's get started. I'd love to hear how you came to start your business spin-up growth for good. Was mm-hmm. there a particular problem that you wanted to solve or another reason for making your transition from entrepreneur to innovator and entrepreneur and the founder of your own company? Yes, it was something I always wanted to have my own business from, I think I was 18. I always wanted to have a web shop. I don't know why. I was 18 years old. It was coming up. I always had this drive, but I, if I chose to go study environmental science, and like you said, I'm, I'm from Aruba. I went to the Netherlands last like 23 years ago to study environmental science. Yes. And I kind of stuck there. I, I stayed there. But um, at, at one point, I was um, working as a sustainability advisor, strategic advisor, and also circular, you know, as a sustainability professional, sustainability manager. But I was always having these side projects. Like I had different web shops with um like one of my first web shops was with um, bags made from recycled plastic materials. I'm talking about 2009 and, yes. you know, all these kind of like eco products that started to <laughs> came up. I found this very interesting. So I started, you know, how do you build a website? How do you attract people to the website? And then that didn't work, but that's okay because I learned tons of new stuff on how to do things. And then it just kept on getting bigger. Another product, got to learn again. Okay, that's not what the market wants, the product and learning by iterations, et cetera. And then at one point, people were starting to come to me. Okay, Jeremy, how, do you, how did you do this? Because along the way, you did find some success. I mean, a lot of stuff doesn't work, but you'll find some things that do work. Mm. And I've learned to focus on those stuff that do work. 
So yes. at one point, I was growing my side projects, doing my sustainability. And then I thought, how could I? I was always looking for a way to combine these passions about growth. You know, how do you, yeah, we call it today growth hacking, but also how can I, could I help sustainable businesses grow? Yes. And while I was working at Schiphol, that was my last paid job, the nine-to-five job, I worked there as a circular economy lead. And what I was seeing there were a lot of, so like the airport is it's a huge corporation yes. and they have these huge contractors and there's this huge ecosystem, like pre-COVID, 70 million people that just go through the terminal and wow. 65,000 people that work on the areas. It's like a, it's like a, a city by itself, an airport city by itself. Mm. in which you can experiment a lot. So that's yes. the great part of it. It's like a Petri dish for innovation and sustainability. So it was very great to be there, but we were seeing all these startups, they have the innovation, yes. but they don't really understand how to latch on to corporates because they were coming to us like, yeah, buy this one unit from us. It's completely modular furniture, etc. Yes. But I would, you know, I would bring along a buying committee. You, you need legal, you need procurement, you need the process owners. I was just somebody facilitating that, you know, to make the change happen. Yes. Um, but these, these startups, they, they, they were looking at us like, what are you talking about? They, they, they really don't understand sometimes how they do it. So they're very great in innovation. They're yes. very, they're like speedboats. You know, they can outmaneuver corporates every day, yes. but the corporates have the scale and they need to match. Mm. And that's kind of like how Spinup was born. How can we find all the sustain tech, the sustainable technology? Circular economy is one model. There are lots of different models. It's one of the most popular models and for great reason. I think it's one. It's a yeah. culmination of different sustainability theories into a modern. And um, so it, it speaks a lot. It has this highly commercial attractiveness to it also, right? So we started looking at the businesses. How, how can we help them? How can we go and find and help them get into contact with their ideal clients and start the conversation, help them hack their growth, because if they don't have that, they don't have an impact. Okay, you know, so that's excellent. That's, that's a really wonderful rundown. So you were working at Schiphol Amsterdam Airport, which is a, sounds like it's a massive corporate space, and you, you had this interest in professional experience in growth hacking and also sustainability in the circular economy, and then you'd been doing these experiments and I love that you talk about experiments um, because we'll get into that a little bit later and um, you found that you wanted to start a business to support startups who are often very fast speedboats you call them but not necessarily have the same capabilities as corporate so with that in mind what is it that you do at a spin-up growth for good and what mm -hmm. are you working towards and what's the impact that you're creating with the startups that you work with? So what we found out is that they're different. Um, so no, no one client is the same. You know, some startups, they have an idea. They don't know how to bring it to market. Mm. Some are a little bit more further. They understand their product. They understand their target audience and they are finding ways to reach them. And others have done that already and they exactly know what to say, right? So yes. we can facilitate all those by, we, we call it full funnel growth optimization. But it begins like, for example, a funnel is a, a set of steps that people need to take to become your client from a stranger to yes. a client who's happy with you and also preferably referring you to their peers, right? You know, this <laughs> built-in growth mechanism. Yeah. So when you look at that funnel, some people have that funnel in place, some have nothing in place. Usually we start with them with our LinkedIn lead generation service. 
because we always tell them, go to the market. Even if your product is not ready yet, just go to the market, see if you can sell it. If people is not, are not responding, then you've overdeveloped and yes. people don't, don't need it. And so always go to the market. We help them get to the market, but then we see them that we see that they don't have the capacity nor the strategy, nor the process. That's the most important. It's just a process in place to be able to facilitate the leads coming in, convincing them. And then, you know, if you're selling to another startup, it's easier. If you're selling to a corporate, you have a very long sales cycle. How do you do that? How do you manage it, right? So we help them with all that strategy, with, but also with the capacity that they need. So concrete, we, concretely speaking, we have LinkedIn lead generation, which is our most popular service that, that we do. And yes. then once we um, start working with our clients, they usually help us. We, 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 we take over their funnels and we do the marketing acquisition and also the management, the client management system behind it uh, to automate certain stuff, you know, to help them grow more efficiently. Like I said, it's very important. We, we want you to grow because otherwise all the effort you put in developing your product, the conferences you went, you might have flown half of the world around to go and find the right partners, whatever it is that would be a waste, right? And that, yeah. that would be sad. <laughs> Look, I think you, it is sad and I think you raise such an important point because many founders come into business being an expert within product or marketing or finance as probably the top three elements of business. And you're really bridging that gap between product and marketing. And I think many founders, as you say, they go to market with a product that's incredibly well-developed and it may not be what the market wants. And they Correct. haven't done that testing. They haven't got that market research. So could Correct. you tell us a little bit more about the process where, I mean, what, what comes first in your opinion and expertise <laughs> it's like the chicken or the um, egg product yeah, yeah, yeah. or marketing <laughs> what 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 do you do first to develop a product and take it to a mark to market successfully so that yeah. a, a product can be monetized very interesting question and you know there's probably not one clear-cut answer to this but in my experience i can only speak from my experience is mm. you have to break this chicken and egg and you have to be creative to do that yes and i think the the first growth hackers they were i think the, the minute we, we started having groceries uh, and people needing to get there, they, they invented the coupon, for example, right? Okay. That's a hell of a growth hack that helped break the chicken and egg question, yes. you know, because it, it drove demand for a certain product. And then the grocer would say, no, I don't have it, but that would be an incentive for him to go get it, right? So it, it helped way back then. It was already taken into effect to, to bridge product and market, which comes first. I think the best way to start is to find an, an audience with a, a need. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes when you're active in a certain domain or certain industry, you will see some pain points, something that's not going fast enough or people are getting frustrated or there's just not a better solution. Something that, you know, there's a need there. Go find, if you can find that, find an audience, find what it is that they want and then give it to them. It's really that easy, but in, in concept, right? In practice, it I, I see too many people fall in love with their darlings, you know. You Absolutely. Falling in love with the that. idea. <laughs> Correct. And then you then you overdevelop and then you keep thinking it's this, it's that. No, it's but and you just keep on going while you should have already cut your loss and redesign something or take a few, take a, take some time to, you know, to to reiterate and yes. come again. Because if you have ambition, you'll come again. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the passion that drives founders, that's for sure. Yeah. 
So on a, on a really practical note, when, when you talk about finding an audience and taking something to them, what is this skeleton in its most practical form? Is it, is it like a concept presentation or like what's the simplest way to take to an audience your concept for a product? and build it out with their consultation and input? Good, good question, yeah. So what, what I would do, what, what I did is also I started with spin-up is who is it that I would like to help? Who is it that I can understand and help? Mm-hmm. What gives me an advantage over other people? For example, I have a sustainability background and I got into the commercialization. There's yes. a lot of people from marketing now stopping starting into um, sustainability yeah. um, just because it's an opportunity. I think those, that's great. We need that also. But once you have, once you also understand how to, you know, as a program manager and certainly come, you, you come to understand how you make, try to make change happen and change behavior because it's not about technology. It's about the behavior. You know, how do you change it? How do you get that further? And then. I'm understanding very well. So what I, what I would, like to delve into just to come back to something you mentioned earlier about having been the circular economy lead at Schiphol Mm -hmm. Airport and working in this corporate innovation environment versus working in a startup environment from your own experience in the startups that you work with how does that differ so what sort of resources obviously we associate corporates with having a lot of resources but startups Mm -hmm. can work at high speed and they can move mm-hmm. very quickly. What are the main sort of differences between the corporate and the startup environment and that ability to innovate? So I think we, we touched upon that a little bit. So we see the differences, I think it's an adoption. Yes. Um, a startup can adopt a new technology or a new platform very easily because they have little to no installed base. Yes. And they, their, their risks are, are smaller when you, when you look at the, at the corporate. So the corporate is geared towards stability, yes. 3 to 5% growth every year and keep it like it is. So in, okay. in the core of stock management doesn't really have an, a really good incentive for change because no. it will affect their bonuses. It can affect everything, right? So while you go out there, you need to put a lot, a lot more effort in like for example if the founder is convinced of the sustainability technology it's there tomorrow if you want to go to a huge uh, department that has like a, a budget of a small um, caribbean uh, island <laughs> just to do asset maintenance for example then yeah. it's a different game that you have to play then it's be- about becoming it's about understanding processes it's about understanding where the decisions are made the decision makers the influencers of those decision makers when do they need what information so that you can deliver it it's, it's about facilitating the decision making yes. and in this decision making money is not always the driver it's no. the benefits that can be the driver because a benefit does not always translate into euro or uh, australian dollar it also yes. translates into cleaner air try to put a price on that they, yes. we, we did we did try to put a price on that but that's always subjective right so it takes a much more long-term approach mm. of understanding the system understanding the culture what drives the people the, the company but and also activating other leaders so that everybody can see that they are a leader that they can do something and yes. once you do that then you'll see uh, momentum throughout different departments because you know i can go to a department i can sell them this concept of sustainability circular economy tell yes. them how they will be less more resilient against commodity price uh, uh, fluctuations in example to be able to have a future 
you know, in a couple of, because if you build an asset, like a built environment, it will stand for 20 years, right? But yes. what will you do after this 20 years? If you think about that right now, it gives you options, right? So if you can make that attractive for them, they have a business case. And yes. then it becomes, how do you cascade that business case from a strategy level up yes. to the directors, up to my middle management, up to the operation. So that's a huge undertaking. So yes, you understand really. how many effort is going in there just to make a change and yes. a startup can say, no, to, to, tomorrow we'll switch to this technology and, and we're done. Yes. So how do, it's, a, it's a really good point. So how do you think startups who often just don't have all of the teams built out yet, they don't have that in, in terms of talent, they don't have that, that resource. How can a small startup start to implement circular economy principles and sustainability into their business model when they don't have all of that uh, so-called manpower? I think the design question should always stem from a need. Yes. Um, fo form follows function. Yes. Right? So if you found something that is a better alternative, I mean, just don't go build something because it's circular. No. People are not just going to drop everything. So you have to come with a better system. So if you have a better system, people will, will listen to you. Um, so let's say you want to create an alternative for throwaway. You want to do something about um, a very difficult um, industry to break in. It's, for example, fashion. Yes. A lot of people start to say, well, you know what? We're going to change it from buy organic cotton, from cotton to organic cotton. And then, you know, we're starting there and then we can do it. I've met a lot of persons that try to create a organic, uh, sorry, a circular fashion brand. Yes. And almost none of them still exist because they just wanted to change something just to make it as an alternative. I think that you should come with a whole different, your system should be better than what it is. And when you're designing this system, mm. you can design, you can use circular economy principles to design. You can use any principle that you want to design it. Yes. But just better build a better system. So when people start using the system, um, it, it makes their lives better. And you can tell them, by the way, your impact is lower if you, you know, if you compare it to other alternatives. I think that's the best way because if you expect you know, a lot of everybody to be educated on this, this theme and really understand why they should change their behavior, that, mm. that's not going to happen. People are, it's just too broad and there's not enough marketing budget in this whole world yeah. to convince everybody. Just like we are trapped in an unsustainable system, we should be trapped in a sustainable system. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So look, look at, at around you, for yes. example. You get yeah. your energy from your local energy supplier. If it's coal, it's coal. You cannot change that. Sure. Right? You're trapped in a certain structure. And you would like to recycle your waste. If there's mm -hmm. no collection points in your area, you yeah. cannot recycle it, no matter how good your intentions are. So you're stuck basically in a unsustainable structure around you. Okay. In which the, the, this is what I mean. So and this is products, where, do, do, do you feel that those fa circular fashion startups that you're talking about, they failed because they were within this system and they weren't well understood within the I, environment? Is that what you mean? I think they also didn't really understand their, um, that just by taking a product, putting in a green label on it, it's not going to be a, a better alternative. It, it, it might be a better alternative on paper, but it's not something that will, you know, can, how do you say it? People will stop everything and tell you, here's my money, give it to me. <laughs> and that, it doesn't work like, like, like that. And, and it's, it's, a it's a very difficult industry, that, but I see it also across different other solutions through a, a, a manufacturing of furniture, 
um, assets, real estate, uh, uh, systems, energy systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it goes through uh, all all of these industries. It should be a better system. I understand. Of, so, could you give us an example of a startup that you've worked with, a circular startup that has mm-hmm. had success? What have they done really well in that process and working within the system? that's seen mm-hmm. them had success commercially, but also with their sustainability initiatives? Mm, that's difficult to see to, for, for me right now because I haven't thought about it very clear, but I can, I look at my own clients that we have. Yeah, perfect. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a consultancy company and they offer um, change management. Yes. And we started working with them and they are also, also a startup. Yes. They had this um, notion about, okay, how are we going to go to the market? This is what we want. This is what we want to sell. You know, they developed the product uh, weeks and months. They developed the product just by themselves. Yes. And then they got the chance to go to market and to test their assumptions. We helped them through LinkedIn to get them into conversations. We're doing the LinkedIn lead gen. They were getting the calls. They were starting to talk with them. And okay. then in the beginning, they started seeing that nobody was, was responding to them because they wanted to... We wanted to test their initial thoughts, right? So, sure. And they went in and they tried to, you know, sell a big program. As a consultancy, if you come in, they don't know you. You cannot sell like a 30K to 50K program. They just don't know you. It does, doesn't work like that. There's no, a much longer sales cycle. Mm. So then we told them, we looked at the situations. We told them, why don't we just start listening to them better? Okay. What do they want? What yes. is it that they need? Yes. And then on the spot, you'll have to react and develop your product okay i love it like so, literally like, on a, a sales call <laughs> literally on a call what yes. is it because you know what you can do and if you have just a notion yeah, we can help you with change management in your company that's a yes. big platform already right yeah within that change platform you could they could tell you we need help reporting because we don't know how to measure our results and they could tell you well we need individual sessions for different departments you never know what they tell you and assuming that they already will tell you yes here's your program come and do it for 50k here's here's the keys yes. that, that that will never happen so this is what they started doing and okay. it was really great to see how then they moved very quickly to people were you know responding back to that question they were getting the data they yes. were going back to the drawing board and changing their business model campus like every startup founder uses these days right they yeah absolutely they try to paint the business model canvas yeah but it's based on assumptions and yes. most of them are assumptions that you only get to really test when you go to the market. Yes. And this is how they started getting, understanding what the client wants, changing their messaging. Like once your clients repeat a certain key phrase to you a couple of times, mm-hmm. listen and put that key phrase into your messaging because that's what the, the uh, empirical data is telling you that you know they find attractive. And this is how they started getting into proposals, getting clients, and they're well on their way to, um, you know, they're growing their company based on that. And this is this process is what, what I mean. Is you, um, LinkedIn is just one channel. You know, you just go out, find out, do. I have mm. a bias towards doing. Yes. Always go and do, find the data, reiterate and go back. It doesn't have to be perfect. People aren't that mean. You'll get a second chance if you do it right. <laughs> just go. <laughs> this is a great example. Thanks for, for sharing, Jeremy. And it's good to hear the success story that's really driven by um, focusing on having conversations to develop the product. Do you have any tips or insights into how CEOs can simplify their messaging about their sustainability initiatives to reach their ideal clients? Because 
I think often the language in sustainability and the circular business movement is um, by people who are highly educated on the subject mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. and they're yeah. talking to people who are also well-educated. So it's like preaching to the converted. Mm-hmm. But in terms of educating more people, and this comes back to your circular fashion example where these um, fashion businesses didn't reach their, their audience, is there a way to simplify the message um, and, and be easily understood to enact change? Uh, yes, it's always able to simplify the message um, mm. but I like to start I don't like to use sustainability as your unique selling proposition maybe this have has resonated through this call so if you focus too much on selling sustainability I think you will only reach the only the converted will understand you and the need for it and that's what I meant which your your product must inherently be or service must inherently be a better alternative you have something new to add to the product. If you have that, then the message writes itself. <laughs> then the, the, if it's better, the product, the marketing is in the product. And the product is then, you know, when your friends do something and they're really excited about it, you hear it about it immediately. Try this, use this, etc. You know, that's when you know it's working. And if you have, um, like, for example, if you're a startup and you want to bring something new, I think mm. that's your best bet. Focus on selling a better product. We're, we're lighter where hopefully you can do it at the same cost level because that's one issue, the, the price point. There's no economies of scale, for example, in circular products a lot yet anywhere you go in the world. So there's, it's practically impossible to have a complete circular product yet. But never mind, go out, do it, tell people about it, but tell them like, kind of like, by the way, you know, it's also good, not like lead with that, you know, buy this it's completely sustainable etc etc that's very important i think but that's not what drives people initially initially they want to know what's in it for them if they have like a pain point address that pain point and then tell them by the way you know we're highly innovative we've done this this and this and then when those two come together yes that's that's magic because then they understand that their 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 basic needs are being met and they have this chance to bring in this new innovation yeah people want that's, to succeed yeah no I, it, it's funny it's it's such a simple thing but addressing people's pain points and being able to create solutions to that is i would say like the, the core of being able to sell a product and yeah. um moving away i think probably from this overused term sustainability but creating a value proposition around the solution to a problem in its, in its most simple, um, simple way of putting it. So yeah. if we come back to the sales process for a moment and um, lo- would love to, to hear a little bit from you about what sort of process you would advise entrepreneurs to connect in with potential clients and um, how to develop meaningful relationships and move, moving away from, from selling to people but rather mm-hmm. developing relationships. How do you use LinkedIn as a tool to do that and also in other forums? Um, so a couple of questions there. Yeah. <laughs> the first question is, well, what, what would I advise? I would advise to look at your audience. Always yeah. go from your audience and their needs and what they need. If, if your audience is more B2C, find a, a relevant channel. Yes. For example, LinkedIn is not that great for B2C like, uh, or... Um, or, uh, Facebook is way better or Instagram for that. So you should try to look. First, you have to find a channel that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? And once you have one channel, focus on that channel. For yeah. B2B, 
we try to tell everybody just go and start with LinkedIn. It's the biggest platform on earth. You have like 700 million professionals from all over the world who all want, who all have ambition, who all want to succeed, right? Yes. Otherwise, they wouldn't put any effort to be found. I mean, Correct. there are a lot of people that just have it, but most of them that I know, they want to be found. They want to show the world. They want to connect. They want to be part of something yes. usually bigger than they are, right? So they're out there connecting. Yes. They're radicals. They're trying to connect. <laughs> so um, go out there, find them, and then start building relationships. Like, like you said, like I always advise, because we have also Growth Academy, so we, we teach people also how, how to do it, but we also do it for them. We okay. found those two types of clients. And, and once you start you know, reaching out to people, understand that, first of all, there's a person on the other side. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a it's human a being. It's a person. <laughs> yeah. And we were talking a little bit uh, prior today. And um, you know, people like to buy, but they don't like to be sold. Yes. LinkedIn is a very good platform to make friends, to network. Yes. Because people understand what networking is. You, 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 you put effort in your network so that once you need help, you yes. can source your network, right? Yes. Because once you need help and you go and find it, it's not going to work because you haven't no. put any effort in helping others. To nurturing right? it's that giving, relationship, yeah. Correct. So once you do that, try to be helpful, help people. And then also understand they have a, they have a need. You know, there might be a it might be a match, it might not be. Just try to make a new friend. Go and see if, you can click, go and see if you can laugh in a conversation, see if there's a match there. And uh, when I tell people, once you start, like, for example, we show them, you can start connect, sending connection requests on LinkedIn for free. You can yes. start sending, if they connect, you can then start sending them a message for free. Don't sell them anything in the, in the first message that you sell them. Thank them for connecting and then, you know, show some interest in it, what it is that they do and um, maybe explain something else, whatever. And then try to get them in a call. And in this call, if you focus a lot on them, right? Understand what they're doing, etc. At one point, they will also talk back and say, but what is it that you do? If you're, if you're in a real conversation then, right? And that's your moment. That's your moment that you can pitch. But I would, you know, wait with that. Because I think if you get, if you accept somebody now on LinkedIn, there's a 90% chance that the second message will be, uh, uh, they're trying to sell you something like, hey, we're selling this. This is me. This is me. Buy, buy, buy. Right? Yes. Don't do that. If you, no. if, you, if you do that, if you don't do that, you'll, you'll have, you know, you're already different than most, like 80% of the <laughs> of people who are trying to pitch their <laughs> or, product within correct. three seconds of yes. meeting you. Yeah. So do that and try to get them in a video call. You know, you, you, you can be a little bit, you, sometimes it depends. If you know your market, you can be a little bit more aggressive. If you know nothing about your market, don't be aggressive at all and mm -hmm. try to make friends, right? It's different situations. And once, and I'm going now from, if you know nothing, right? You know nothing about your market, you're getting in, start conversations, tell them what it is that you do. If they find it interesting, tell them, great, can we move this conversation over to a Zoom call, for example? Because, you know, I'd like, it, it talks much easier. And this is the point in which where you can go and be a little bit more aggressive in what it is that you do and listen to them. And if it's a match, offer it. If it's not a match, ask them how, how they need help. You yes. might be able to help them. You might not be able to help them, but you might be able to help somebody else get a new client, which yes. then works for your network. Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. It's the butterfly effect, really. Of it's not always the person you're talking to, but who's in um, 
their network that might be useful. This is, this is a really great breakdown of the process of, of selling uh, in a way that is really more about building relationships. As a business coach, I often speak to entrepreneurs who tell me about their sense of imposter syndrome, which is that they might be new to business or may even be quite experienced but have a lot of self-doubt. For mm-hmm. our, any of our listeners who have that sense of imposter syndrome, do you have any tips on approaching everything that you just described in terms of building the relation, relationship through LinkedIn? Should, should that entrepreneur be soundboarding with a potential client that this is a new product that they're developing, that it's very early stage? Or should they be keeping that to themselves? Like, what do you recommend in terms of voicing that uncertainty about the product that's being built? Transparency, always. Yeah? Yeah, because people like the underdog. (laughs) It's a good point, especially here in Australia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. It's a cultural Um, nuance, yeah. yeah, um, But how, how, how I formulate this, We've spoken with a lot of I've spoken with a lot of startups that had some great ideas that were very interesting, and yes. we would always give them a platform to give them a chance. You know, when I was working, you know, with the big corporates, yes, and because the corporations they need the help. They cannot innovate. They have to outsource innovation. They yes. have complex programs to bring the innovations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. they need they have a need. So bring it. Tell them where you are, and if when they do that, you can also ask if they would be like to be your launching customer. What great validation is that if you have a launching customer before you start developing anything right you you might just need a, a deck or you might whatever it is that you need to convey your idea to them yeah. make that happen if it's a prototype build it as cheap as possible if it's a presentation deck do it fast yes. don't put a lot of time in it go talk to them if they're interesting tell them i want to keep developing it if i come to this point Yes. Would you then be my launching customer? Use that momentum in your advantage and let them know. Yeah. That, so I would always opt for, for, for that approach. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's wonderful advice. And I'm sure a lot of people will be actually excited to hear that, that transparency is the best policy when it comes to trying <laughs> to convey your startup yeah, idea. Yeah. Oh, you also mentioned something about the imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, that's one way it can manifest itself. But what I also found maybe a good attitude to look about business development or co- call it growth hacking, call it how you, how you like, it's about being experimental. You know, if something fails, don't see it as a failure. Mm. Don't be too hard on yourself. Mm. Most people do nothing. I mean, that's the only way to, to do not get any comments or any criticism is to do nothing. To do if nothing, you want to be yeah. nothing, then do nothing. It's pretty easy. <laughs> but if you want to be something, then you'll get equal people that like you as much people that don't like you it doesn't really matter just focus on the positivity and if it doesn't work be highly experimental in your growth experiments try this channel do this channel if you think linkedin is the one okay try everything try events try reaching out try advertisement everything find it see if it works highly experimental and don't get sad if it doesn't work because you find one way that doesn't work that's it it's nothing yeah. less. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. It does not necessarily mean that your product is not great. It just means that this method carried out this way doesn't work. That's data. Take it back. Let the data speak. Keep neutral and go ahead. Yeah. And, and once you do feel that you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fake. I can't make it because, you know, I, I have been gone through a lot 
a long set of not getting the yes, right? Yes. And I think that is what makes you different. When you, when, if you keep going, I think from falling, you learn to get up. That's Absolutely. the most important part. Um, of it. I just, pre- appreciate your candor because so many entrepreneurs struggle with that sense of failure. And it's, it's a very life-changing journey to embark on when you are an entrepreneur. So I appreciate your candor in sharing that. And, and just on a more practical note, when we are thinking of growth hacking and experimenting within our business, do you recommend doing an experiment sort of one at a time or 10 experiments at a time across different channels? What sort of approach do you like to take to see what's working and what's not? And perhaps even, you know, how much failure can we embrace at once? <laughs> or <laughs> is it better to just do a small burst and see how one channel goes or compare two channels at once? What do you think? Or go all out and do oh, 10. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like, I like the, the, there's this saying, it says, fail often, fail fast, fail cheap. You know, that yes. sales about, that's about something. And yep. um, we, we don't have unlimited budgets. So you cannot experiment all the day. And the experiments, you have also a process. You have to deliver, you have to do the marketing, you have to run the business also, right? So parallel experiments can become a little bit too much. So I don't, I, if you have like a growth marketing team of 10 persons with a, a manager above it, you could do well over 20 to 25 experiments per week, given they take about two weeks, maybe less per mm. year. But, but that's like a huge, you have huge resources. I would, at the, at the startups, I would say just focus on the job at hand. I mean, where are you? Do you have the funnel in place? If you don't, start with the top of the funnel. Okay, how am I going to get people to know about me and my services? Start with cracking that. And then how am I going to get people in a call? Then you crack that. And those are usually interlinked with each other, right? The first two steps. So do a lot of experimentation there. Once you start getting leads, your next challenge will be, okay, how do I convince them in this conversation to try me? How do we do that? If you focus too much on selling, they will see that, they will smell it, and they will tell you it's not very... Focus on them. Try to understand their needs, like we said, and then come back, listen, and then, you know, like 75% listening, 25% talking, and yeah. then see that they understand and then move on. So it, it becomes, every time you have a different layer of experiment so once you are familiar with that growth hacking process because per layer you can have an experiment running if you want so you have to see what works for you if you don't have the capacity then just go one by one if you can do it you can have multiple experiments all going at the same time um, and help you and some experiments can be automated like if you're experimenting with a a website um, or a landing page with an advertisement those Uh, different you you can put two different types completely different types of advertisement run against each other and see which one is working best to drive traffic that's a growth experiment and you're a b testing it's a simple form of things you know and you can test different messages in your calls etc so it really depends on how much you can handle and can afford to implement at that time and regarding on how much punches you can take that regards on your uh, it's very personal isn't it <laughs> yeah that's very personal two per week <laughs> but what i always try to tell people it's nine times no one times yes so yes. every no brings you closer to the yes so go collect no's as soon yes. as possible i love that that's such wonderful advice and thank you for sharing jeremy 
just as we yeah just as we start to wrap up I'm conscious that you've recently moved back to Aruba after living in the Netherlands for about 23 years Mm -hmm. have you had to re-engineer or pivot your pivot uh, your business in any way since since moving to this small Caribbean island no, the only change we had to do is um, because from the inception, Spinoff was born to be digital. Yes. The, the goal, a functional specification would be that we could r- run this company from anywhere in the world. All we need is a time slot in which we can coordinate with our clients and internet connection, fast internet connection. That was from the get-go, the goal. Excellent. Well, I, I think it's a wonderful business model and um, encouraging <laughs> for other entrepreneurs to develop as well, given that many people would also dream of living <laughs> on a Caribbean island or some sort of dream dream location. So um, that's excellent. And just to finish up for today, what's one piece of advice that you could share with our listeners who might be thinking about setting up a circular business? How mm-hmm. could they go about that? What's the starting point? Start with the audience. Do that. And there are around the whole world there are um, more and more universities coming with these open enrollment courses in the netherlands for example you have circo there's a business development organization they help you design these things there are out there if you can find one in your vicinity use it um, you, there are um, uh, MOOCs online or from a lot of uni- universities always try to you know go and dig a little bit deep in that and yes. then once you have the audience then you can go into the development and once you have a concept, so it's not one advice, it's a series of advice, kind of like sure. a, and um, once you have that audience, be highly experimental in how to get to market. Find a channel, dig down on the channel very well. If it fits, you know, if the channel fits, go for that highly experimental and keep experimenting until you crack the code. At one point, when you see it's not working, people are not responding to your messaging, to your value proposition, mm. be aware that you have to cut loose at one point doesn't matter don't be fear it's okay and everybody fails everybody has to fail before they start to understand how the the game really works don't worry about it keep going excellent well thank you so much jeremy i love this analogy of cracking the code and in particular your focus on actually overcoming failure through experimentation till you you reach that magic spot and connecting in with an audience. This has been such a valuable conversation and I have no doubt that our listeners will actually be replaying the podcast to get into the the detail (laughs) of what you're saying and also following up with you afterwards. So thank you for your time and insights, Jeremy. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Keep on doing what you're doing because this is very interesting also. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So I'm curious what your key takeaways were from this interview. Personally, I found it really important to consider the language that we use when we're trying to communicate our mission with our ideal target audience. And there's some great points in here to really rethink how we frame sustainability and the language that we use to actually um, really get to the crux of a client's problem rather than what we think we need to say to involve them in the movement of sustainability. There's also so many learnings when it comes to corporate world versus startup land. And I think as entrepreneurs, we can really learn from our our compatriots who are doing big business, but also be assured that there's a lot of advantages to being able to run a startup and solve problems quickly and in real time. 
uh, I appreciate Jeremy sharing so much of his knowledge and I encourage you to join in some of his upcoming workshops which you can access via his LinkedIn page, Spin Up Growth for Good, and upcoming workshops that we'll be holding through Impact Business School where Jeremy will be joining me as a guest speaker. So thank you for joining the conversation today. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to delve into uh, some of the complexities of marketing versus product development and to simplify that process and get really clear on some of the steps that we can all take to get our message out to our ideal market and to bring in more business that does good for the world. Thanks for joining the conversation. I appreciate you and have a great day.